time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, thank you so much. You know, it's been so encouraging for me here at the Vintage Truth Podcast to hear from many of you who are enjoying these podcasts. It's being a, an encouragement to your faith. It's building up your faith. It's making you feel stronger in your relationship with God. Uh, through his vintage truth and through what the Holy Spirit does in your life on a daily basis. And so uh, just want to thank you for all those who are, who are encouraging me that way. Also, uh, some of you guys are uh, have begun to support this ministry, a handful of you. And, you know, I'm just challenging people to support this podcast ministry just $8 a month. I mean, that's not a whole lot, right? But but yet it does make a difference. And um, in uh, these podcasts and helps me to uh, keep, them, keep them coming to you. And if you'd like to be a supporter of this ministry for $8 or for more than that a month, just go to jeffkinley.com, click on the Donate tab, and you can set it, set that uh, that reoccurring payment up uh, each week. And, uh, you know, right now there are folks from 34 different countries who are tuning in to the Vintage Truth Podcast. I can't believe it. It's just a God thing. And I have not no idea who these people are or how they're listening or what impact is happening. It doesn't really matter to me. As long as God's truth gets out, that's what really it's all about. So we're here to encourage you on this thing. Hey, today I want to talk about and address uh, this question, is your God real? And how does how do people know whether or not your God is real? Now, that's a huge general question, I, I understand. But I want to take a story out of the Bible that really, I think, illustrates uh, this principle about God being real to someone. And it's found in Daniel chapter 3. And sort of the background of this thing is that in back in about 605 B.C., that Daniel, you know who Daniel is, took was taken with some other captives by um, Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And they were held captive there. And there were uh, you know, made to work in, in some of them into the, uh, the the governmental administration there. And three of those young men that were a part of that were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the fiery furnace, as they say. But the deal is, is that when you really boil it down, is that they were living in a in a pagan culture under a pagan king, and there were certain rules and regulations and, and standards that they were required to follow in culture. Now, we in our country, in America, since we have a, a Christian-friendly government for the most part, we don't have those type of laws against us saying, oh, you can't pray and that kind of thing. Now, I understand we've taken prayer out of schools, but you can still pray in schools. And you can pray anytime you want to in school. So prayer has not been taken away from Christians to pray in school. It's just that it's not government sanctioned, which in some ways is kind of a good thing because I don't want a pagan, you know, teacher leading my child in some prayer to the spirit world or whatever. But you can still pray in school. But in Daniel's day, it was outlaw that you could pray. And, and also you were made to bow down to a statue of the uh, of the king, to worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar uh, has uh, had set up in his day, and, and he says in Daniel chapter three and verse six, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So you weren't you weren't arrested, you weren't thrown into a holding cell, you weren't given a trial, you weren't 
appointed a lawyer, you're just thrown into the furnace where you were immediately burned up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to themselves, well, we're not going to bow. We're just not going to bow. And when the music sounded and they were required to bow, it says that, uh, that they didn't bow. They didn't fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. And so someone told on them. And uh, the, the king gave orders. It says in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. And, the, and he says, is it true that you didn't, you know, bow down? He says, no, I'll give you, I'll give you a second chance here. And they say, you know what? We don't really need to answer you about this. Our answer has already come by the fact that uh, we didn't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar had said to them, you know, when I do this, who's, what God is there to deliver you out of my hands? And their response is, well, our God, actually, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Now, folks, there, there are golden images that culture has set up today. Certain things of, you can call it political correctness, whatever, but when it comes to Christianity, we're supposed to just toe the line with the morality that culture has approved or with certain values that the world has approved. And by the way, that's what that means in Romans 12, 2 where Paul wrote, do not be conformed to the world. He wasn't talking about fashion and you know, style of music and, you know, food and stuff, that kind of, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the values. What are the values in the world today? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, we're not going to bow. And, you know, that takes a lot of courage for someone to say something like that, that, we're just simply not going to do it because in our culture, we want to please people, don't we? We want to go along. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves, do we? No, we just want to be a Christian that just quietly lives his or her life. And, you know, if we need to compromise every now and then, you know, what's, what's the big deal, right? In fact, there are 10 reasons I've come up with as to why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have come together and said, all right, look, guys, look. Here's the deal. We all know we believe in God. We're true followers of him. But here's some reasons why we could sort of twist this around and rationalize this. Keep our faith, but still bow. Reason number one. They said, well, what's an idol anyway? It's just wood or gold. It's not real. So if we're bowing down, we're really not bowing down to anything that's actually in existence any real deity or God is just a, an idol. So we're not really, you know, committing any problem there. Number two, they said, well, well, we'll bow down with our bodies on the outside, but we'll be standing up on the inside for God. And God, who looks at the heart, right? He won't see that action. He'll just see our heart and he'll be, still be pleased. Or they could have said, number three, we'll do it one time and then we'll confess it to God. Or we'll just, Every time we have to bow, we'll just confess it afterwards. After all, if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us, right? They could have said that. Number four, they said, 
We'll bow, but we'll be praying all the while we're bowing. And that way we can still compromise. Number five, they could be saying, well, everybody's doing it. We'll be left out and they'll think that we're weird if we don't bow. If we don't bow and go along with what they're doing, how are we ever going to reach them? We got to do what they do. Number six, it'll help us reach people by better identifying with them. So when they see that we're doing the same thing that they are, they'll think, hey, teenagers are they are pretty cool guys. They're, they're one of us. Yeah, we'll do that. Number seven, they could have said, the king is our boss. We're supposed to obey authority. We have to obey. God will understand. After all, there's no authority in government except the ones that God has placed there, right? Romans 13. They could have said, number eight, we really owe the king for all he's done for us. I mean, you know, look what he's, look what he's allowed us to do. I mean, we're, we're part of the elite crew here. So, you know, we kind of owe him a favor. So what's the big deal? Number nine, could have said this isn't as bad as what some people do. Some of our Jewish brothers are involved in a lot of sin. So for us just to simply bow down, I mean, compared to that, it's not really a big deal. After all, we're still not really worshiping the idol. And number 10, if he throws us into that fiery furnace, we're going to burn up like a styrofoam cup at a campfire. And if we're dead, then God can't use us anymore. Duh. So we have to avoid death so that we can stay alive so God can keep using us. Uh, well, those are 10 reasons. You know what? Those are some of the same reasons that some Christians today use in order to compromise in their life. And an uncompromising person, I'm not saying that you're this rigid, legalistic you know, person who has to dress different from everybody else in the world and you, you, you wear your, your, your faith you know, like a sign around your neck and you're just kind of putting it in people's face and you're just real negative and you're telling everybody how they're going to hell. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just simply having principles in your heart that guide you, that there are priorities in your life that keep you centered as you walk. Does that make sense? That's not legalism. That's looking at the God who gave you his word and saying, this is the heart of God as expressed in this principle or in this moral code, and I'm going to follow this. Now, it's not easy to do sometimes, granted. But God, the Holy Spirit, is the power through which we live out those principles. And we compromise today. The world is so subtle and the world is so vindictive that if you stray from the status quo that the world tells you to walk, they'll come after you and you'll be labeled and you won't get any more followers on Instagram. And what in life could be worse than that? What, were the, what was their response? They told the king they weren't going to bow and he said, well, in that case, you're going to burn. So he threw them into the furnace. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie them up in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. This was like a giant oven where they would open this door at the top and just, just toss you in there. Now think about so many times, if you're a Christian businessman, how there's ways to cut corners in deals and, and tell little white lies. There's, there's ethical things of ways to treat people. You've got to have uncompromising principles. If, if you're a young person and you're dating, if you're single, there are lines you need to draw in your life way before you date that you just won't cross no matter how you feel or what pressure you feel in the moment. There's lots of pressures out there from the world. So these guys were thrown in there. And it says in, um, they fell into the midst of a blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, Daniel 3, was astounded and stood up. And he responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, Certainly, O king. And he answered and said, Look, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the fire without harm. And the appearance of that fourth man is like a son of the gods. Something even in the fire was glowing brighter than the fire. And it was the radiance of the glory of the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a companion in that fire. And others witnessed it as well. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the blazing fire and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire and the government officials, the the governors and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of them, nor was even the hair on their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Wow. So they launched an investigation and found out they were unharmed by this fire completely. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, my command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any other god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people or nation or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. They not only didn't get burned, they got a promotion. What do we take away from a story like this? Well, there's several things. I think one of them is just simply this, is that the hotter the fire in your life, the hotter the persecution, the opposition in your life, the sweeter the fellowship is with God. 
the more you stand up for him, the more he will stand up and with you. You remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was about to be stoned, the, the very first Christian martyr. And the Bible tells us that something happened very interesting in, in that moment. And it says, in Acts 7, it says, They went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And right before then, back in verse 55, it says, He gazed intently into heaven right as he was being killed and saw the glory of God. Then he saw something else, it says in verse 55. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, whenever we see Christ mentioned in heaven at the right hand of God, he's always seated. But in that instance, he was standing. You see, if you stand for Jesus, he will stand with you. So the sweeter, the hotter the fire, the sweeter the fellowship. Secondly, had they bowed down, they would have lost all credibility concerning their faith. See, people don't respect you when, they, when you compromise. They really don't. They respect you. The only way for them to respect you is when you stand. And you have to stand with integrity, not with hate, not with abrasiveness, not with bullying. You just stand with integrity and faith in God. Another principle is that your convictions will probably cost you at some point in your Christian life. They're going to cost you something. They cost you a promotion, a raise, friends, whatever. They're going to cost you. Here's another principle. God doesn't always save you from the fire, right? I mean, God didn't always save us from trouble, but he's always with us while we go through that trouble. Another principle is that standing with other believers is what makes you strong. See, those guys didn't go in there by themselves. They were locked arm in arm. Those guys had walked with each other. They had encouraged each other. And because they had done that, they were able to stand with each other. And we feed off of each other's faith. That's why it's so great to have close Christian buddies, brothers and sisters that you can lean on and they can lean on you. See, we should never underestimate the power of a life fully yielded to Jesus Christ. If you have the word of God grounding you in your life, that's what gives you conviction. They didn't have this conviction because it was popular or because it felt good to them. They had this conviction in their life because of the principles that they found in God's vintage truth. And those principles anchored them to a stand. It anchored them so that when the winds of opposition blew, they wouldn't be blown away. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. You see, being firmly rooted, being established in your faith comes from being instructed from the word of God. And the way that you're going to prove to other people that your God is real is when you're able to be the kind of Christian who lives an uncompromising life. And sometimes we do compromise. You know what? When that happens, we just need to repent, find out why we did what we did, and move on. And experience God's love and forgiveness and, and keep moving on in the power of the Holy Spirit. And failure then becomes our teacher, you know? 
but you need to have those standards long before you face the situations where they'll be tested. Hey, the next time Satan tempts you, the next time you're about to hit the fire, stand strong and God will stand with you. Hey, I'll see you on Monday on the Vintage Truth Podcast. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.